Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Psalms. John Calvin called Psalms a mini Bible. It has everything in it. Psalms is the place where the gospel gets its feet dirty. If the gospel is really the gospel, then the gospel has to descend into the highways and byways, into the injustice issues, into the issues of of what's happening in our world today and in my heart today. And, and the Psalms are the place where the gospel really gets fleshed out in your life and in mine. And so the Psalms are part of wisdom literature. And the Psalms are here to teach us how to worship God in all of life. When things are going well, when things are going poorly, the Psalms are there to give us the language of worship in the midst of the difficulties of life. This is where the gospel really comes to life. It's not just doctrine, it is doctrine. And I want to preach right doctrine tonight, today. But it's doctrine that comes down and meets you right where you're at. Like right in the eyes. When you look in the mirror and you wonder, how in the world am I supposed to live as a Christian, as an image bearer of Jesus Christ? What does that look like in my job, in my parenting, at home, with my dreams, with my finances? And and the Psalms gives us the language to worship God. So it's a series on worship which is the title of the series, Worship in Technicolor. But it's also a a book that teaches us how to walk in purity, in prayer, how to walk in our relationships, in those areas where we don't have the exact doctrine or the exact command from God, do this or do that. And those things of where where do I go to school? How do I relate in my my friendships? how, How do I relate to my husband, my wife? We're having another child. It's coming into our home. What's that going to look like? What are my priorities? That, the Psalms teaches us about that. And today's message is entitled, The Steadfast Love of the Lord, from Psalm 107. The Steadfast Love of the Lord. And, and here, here's the issue in this psalm. Is God with me, or has God abandoned me? Now, don't look at me so religiously. Oh, Al, we know that the Bible says God never abandons his people. Yeah, I know it says that, but do we believe that when things are really going poorly? Do we believe that when we've just sinned again and again and again and again? Dear moms, dads with little ones, (laughs) when your brain is finally exploded and out of your mouth comes all kinds of things that you wish you hadn't said the moment you said them. Dear single, when you're lonely and you're out looking for things, and you're out looking for relationships and you know, man, I, I just, I compromise pretty seriously on that one. Dear business owner, when, when the, the budget's tight and you're trying to make payroll and you maybe hmm, did a few things that your conscience tells you, uh-uh. or just in traffic, that's the one for me. And I get home and think, oh, God has certainly abandoned me. He wouldn't want to have nothing to do with me. There's, there's no way God wants anything to do with me because if someone knew that I was one of his children, they would go, whoa, what kind of God is that? Did you see how that guy drove? And that's my next door neighbor just getting out of the driveway. But seriously, it has, is God with you 
See, that's the question that is being asked in Psalm 107. Psalm 107 was written during the context of the children of Israel, the people of God, in exile in Babylon around 540 B.C. They were in exile because of their sin, because they had worshipped idols, and they had been thrown out of the promised land by God, and they're in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, and they were longing for home, which is modern-day Israel and Jerusalem, and they're asking the question, have you left us? You might be asking that question. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's something you want in your life and you're not getting it. You're saying, God, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you faithful to your covenants? It's a question we all ask. Has God abandoned me because of my sin? Here's another question. Or is God toying with me? Things are not going well here. God, are you just messing with me? Is this like a cosmic game? And I'm but a pawn? We can feel that, can't we? And Psalm 107 comes down into this and it lifts us up and it says to us that God is a God of steadfast love. Because if we descend down that rabbit hole of either God has left me because of my sin, he's abandoned me, or God is just toying with me, then that can produce a depression and a hopelessness that is so profound. There's a great book by Zach Eswine. It's entitled Spurgeon's Sorrows. Wonderful book if you wrestle with depression. Spurgeon's Sorrows. Realistic hope for those who suffer from depression. And even if you don't suffer from it chronically, we all have moments where we lose hope. We feel depressed. We're just, life is just horrible right now. I'm horrible right now. And God, you're nowhere to be found. At least I can't see you. When that moment hits, it can bring a a pain in your soul that is more profound than any physical wound. A man or a woman can sustain a lot of suffering, but the thought for a believer that God is not there it's unsupportable. It, it, it's, it's, it's a trauma to our souls that is profound. And so God has given us this gift of Psalm 107. And in the midst of Psalm 107, what does God say? He says, I am with you. You are in exile in Babylon, far away from the promised land, but I am with you. Look at verses 1 to 3. Psalm 107. Verses 1 to 3. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. You understand that this is being written by someone who is in exile in Babylon. A Jew who is not in Jerusalem, but he's in exile in Babylon. Even today, imagine a Jew living in Iraq or Iran or Saudi Arabia. Not a comfortable place to live. And back then, no temple in which to worship God. Where is God? The temple's destroyed. I'm in exile. I've lost all my land. Imagine tomorrow you lose every bit of your wealth, every bit of your freedom, and you're taken to a country where you don't speak the language. And you're taken from Miami, Florida, that's beautiful, into some desert, some Mojave desert situation where it's 125 degrees in the shade at midday. And people tell you, oh, but it's dry heat. <laughs> He's like, yeah, all right, but it's still frying that egg on my head right now. And you have no hope. There is no hope for you. And in the midst of that, 
The psalmist, God, writes this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. He is? Why am I here if he's good? For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands. Now that makes sense. Gathered in from the lands. You reading it with me? Psalm 107, verses 1 to 3. If you don't have a Bible, get one. If you notice someone doesn't have a Bible and isn't reading it, share yours with them. This is God's word. This is what changes us by his spirit. Read it with me. Silently. And gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Psalm 107 answers this question that we have. Is God with me? And the answer is yes, because he's with himself. Let me explain that. God is faithful to me because God is faithful to who he is. And though I have been unfaithful, God is going to be faithful to me, Christian, in Christ. Now listen, if you're an unbeliever, God is not with you. And I pray that you hear the gospel this morning, that you would repent and believe. I pray that with all my heart. But as a believer, God is with us, not because we're good and we deserve it or we're faithful. We're not, because he is good and he is faithful. He is steadfast in his love. God is with us because he's true to his nature. He cannot not be with you. I know, grammarians, that's wrong. But just let it fall upon you in all its wrongness. He cannot not be with you. You understand that? You may think, oh, there's no way God can be with me. I've blown it too many times. There's no way God can be with me because things are going so poorly. If he were with me, they wouldn't be going poorly. But he is because he's good and he's faithful to who he is. In fact, the main point of this text is the following. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that gathers and redeems you as his covenant people. Because you see, the truth of God being true to himself and steadfast in love, we're going to look at that word in a moment, the truth of that then calls from us, friends, thanksgiving. Now, what is the thing we're tempted to not do when things are going poorly? Give thanks. What are we tempted to do instead of giving thanks when things are going poorly? Complain. And in the Bible, complaining is unbelief. Unbelief, saying, God, you're not good. God, you're not with us. Unbelief saying, my sin is bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. So if I sin, God leaves the room because he can't stand sin. Wrong. When I sin, that's what I love about the Psalms. It gives me the language to worship God exactly when I sin. When I'm good, when I'm bad, when I'm happy, when I'm sad. It's not a sterile environment where I get good and then I come and worship God on Sunday mornings with these beautiful lights, which I love, and the worship songs, and I feel good in the backdrop. Man, isn't this nice? It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, but this is like a bubble. And we all go out and get in our cars where we have other lights. (laughs) We have other situations. And we go home and we get in conflicts or we get in an accident. May no one get in an accident today, okay? It's not a prophecy. Or we get a diagnosis tomorrow from the doctor or the business starts failing or whatever happens and it's in that moment or when I say I turn my back on God this afternoon and I'm angry with somebody or I do something I know is wrong. It's in that moment that the Psalms gives me the ability to worship him. It's in exile in Babylon that this Psalm begins. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. It's that reality. This word steadfast love, which you see here on the screen, it's in the text. We spoke of this last week. It's the word hesed. 
it has a huge range of meaning. You could say it's mercy. You can say it's loyalty. You can say that it's God's goodness to his people. You can say many, many things. It's his, his love that never fails. It is all of that. We sang about it this morning. It has that range of meaning. But this is what, this is how it, it comes, this is how this truth now is going to, to get traction in my life. What it means is that God's very nature is that he will be merciful to whom he is merciful and he chooses to be merciful to his elect, his people in Christ. And therefore, God will never fail you. You will fail him, he won't fail you. God will never abandon you. He will never turn his back on you no matter how many times you turn your back on him. God will love you if you are his elect, his people in Christ. He will be kind to you, he will be good to you. He's faithful to his covenant. It's hard to believe that sometimes, isn't it? Either because bad things have happened, so we accuse God, or we do bad things and we run from God. That is the instinct of humanity. But the gospel, God says, don't run from me. I haven't abandoned you because I'm true to who I am. I will care for you. I will bless you. I will love you. Jesus Christ is at the center of this text because we know as Christians that Christ Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's covenant faithfulness. Listen carefully, non-believer. Jesus Christ, historical figure, yes, we just celebrated his birth, came to this earth as God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, and lived the perfect life that you and I could not live never disobeyed his father, never rebelled against his father. And then on the cross, he died and took God's punishment that's rightly exhibited on sin, the punishment we all deserve. And then he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he promises us his glory. That is the steadfast love, the covenantal faithfulness that this psalm speaks to us in the midst of our troubles he is good in the midst of our sin he is good in the midst of our failures god is good and faithful to us and he teaches us how to live as his people his image bearers in this dark world to shine the light of his covenant faithfulness so the way he does it in this psalm is through four groups Now, these four groups represent us at any given time. We've all been in one of these groups who are tempted to doubt God's goodness. And let me just highlight these four groups for you because these four groups have the exact same verbiage. These four little vignettes, these little skits, these little plays, these little sitcoms, if you want to look at them. There's like four episodes, okay? And these four sitcoms represent four groups of people who feel like God is not there, who feel like they don't see God, who feel abandoned by God. And 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 the psalmist, God is saying, I have not abandoned you. And these four groups are going to speak into your situation in life. The first group you're going to see begins in verse 4. And it begins the same way all four groups begin, with the word some. Look at verse 4. Some wandered in desert places. Look again in verse 10. Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death. So you have some in desert places, some sitting in darkness in desert places. Are you sitting in darkness in desert places? Verse 17 The third group, some were fools. Oh, we've all been fools. And then the final group in verse 23, some 
went down to the sea in ships doing business in the great waters. And then all four of these groups begins describing the group, some, and then the next thing that it described is their call to God for help. Their call to God for help. Look at verse 6a. Verse 6a. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Look at verse 13a. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Look at verse 19a. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. In verse 28a, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. When you're studying the Bible and you see these repetitions, it's giving you four different sitcoms, four different vignettes, four different situations that God's going to speak into of people who think God's abandoned them. And you're going to fit into one of those at any given time. Some days you feel like you're in all four of them. The third one, the the third similarity in these four groups is God's help. It's introduced with this this word, this phrase, and he delivered them from their distress. Look at verse 6b. You're looking at it? And he delivered them from their distress. Look at verse uh, 13b. And he delivered them from their distress. Verse 19b. And he delivered them from their distress in verse 28b. And he delivered them from their distress. See, the question is, where are you feeling alone? Where do you feel God has deserted you? I've got a couple floating through my head right now. The question is, where where are you crying out to God for help? The question is, Where is God and how is God delivering you from your distress? And then the fourth aspect of all four of these sitcoms, all four sitcoms end the same way. They end with this main point. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that gathers and redeems you as his covenant people. And you'll find all four of them ending with the phrase, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, to the children of man. Look at verse 8, the first sitcom. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Look at verse 15, the second sitcom. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Verse 21, the third vignette. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And verse 31, let them thank the Lord for the steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. So, so, (laughs) If you get nothing else from this message, whatever situation you're in, we're going to describe them briefly right now. You ready, for, you ready for what God is saying to you this morning? Thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for you, friend. For you. For you. For you. That's what God is saying. God's going to describe your situation. He's going to describe where you're feeling like God has abandoned you. And it's going to be a very real sense of abandonment. And you're going to be freaking out because when the soul feels that God has abandoned him, that is the worst. That is the one that causes us to run in terror or to just shrivel in hopelessness. But listen, he's delivering you. Cry out to him and give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works for you. Why can I say that? Because Jesus came died, rose, ascended. That's the good work. But from that flows all the others for you right now, this afternoon, tomorrow morning. That's our hope, church. All right, so let's look at these four vignettes or sitcoms, whatever you want to term them. These four situations where we're tempted to uh, abandon God. Point one. 
Friends, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love when you find yourself in the desert wastes of exile. You understand what exile is, right? You're not home. You're never going to see home. You're going to have to learn a new language. You're amongst people of a different language, different religion. These are totally not your people. You're never going home. Home is gone. And you're in a desert waste. Look at verses 4 and 5. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. The original context is Jerusalem. Jerusalem's, they're, they're gone from Jerusalem. They're hungry and they're thirsty. Their soul has fainted within them. Friends, where is your soul hungry and thirsty and fainting within you? What desert waste are you in today? Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Verses 6 and 7 for this first group. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And I could just hear the Jews by the rivers of Babylon crying, singing these psalms. And they're weeping and they're saying, Oh God, were that we were back in Jerusalem on your holy mountain. And look what it says in verse 6. And he delivered them from their distress. Israel did return after Captivity in Babylon. They returned and rebuilt the temple. And he led them by a straight way, verse 7, till they reached the city to dwell in. Yes, and God rebuilt his city. And that is our hope. Our city is a heavenly city. Our city is the new Jerusalem. Our city is the new heavens and the new earth. And right now we may feel like we're sitting in a desert waste, hungry and thirsty with nothing to sustain us. But here's our hope, Jesus. How do you say, how do you, how can you say that, Al? Where do you see Jesus in these first uh, six verses, six, seven, and eight? I see Jesus because Isaiah the prophet saw this verse and these verses and this return from Babylon as the second Exodus. Now, if you're not as familiar with the Exodus theme, Israel left Egypt by God's hand in 1500 B.C. out of slavery into the promised land, first Exodus. Now Israel in Babylon in exile is going to be led out by God into the promised land again to rebuild the temple, second Exodus. But they both point to Jesus. Here's the trail. Learn these trails in Scripture. Isaiah 40, verses 2 through 5. Documenting this as the second Exodus. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, and her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Praise God. That she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all their sins. See, that to an exile, that means like, can we come back now? Our sin has been pardoned. We're here because of our sin, but can we go back? And we could be asking that of our own lives. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Imagine all these pictures of desert warfare and these guys going on paths to their destination, this pathway in the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Do you recognize that phrase? We just came out of Christmas. I'm not going to sing it, but the Messiah Every valley, I wish I could sing like that, right? When that, when that tenor or whatever he is is singing it, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I love it when they do those little spark things. What do they call them? Flash mobs. That's right, spark things. <laughs> the flash mobs. A spark mob. 
You know, and the guy stands up on the table, he sings like Zeke, or a woman sings like Jenny and says, every valley, and it just put chills up and down. Your well, that came from here, guys. They're borrowing it from here. All those good feelings in the mall somewhere in Minnesota comes from Isaiah. <laughs> Sorry, Minnesota. The uneven ground shall become level and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the glory that we lost in the fall has now been restored in Christ shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Great Al, that was written by Isaiah around 500 and something BC. How do you know that speaks of Jesus? Because John the Baptist when he came, referenced this psalm that referenced Isaiah's prophecy, and he said, I'm the one. I'm the one who is declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord, because the answer to this is Jesus. He delivers you from your exile you're in right now, from that dusty, dry, hot place you're sitting at right now in your soul, and he will restore you into the beautiful city of the Lord, Jerusalem. And what is our response? Look at verses 8 and 9 in this first vignette. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Dear friends, he will satisfy your longing soul because of Jesus and take you out of that dusty, dry place where you're hungry and thirsty and your soul is aching. He will feed you and give you water and rest. Second vignette. Friends, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that gathers and redeems us when you find yourself in the darkness of enslaving sin. Look at verses 10 and 12. You there? Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Now you can understand that. Some of the Jews were in prison in Babylon, in desert uh, dungeons. But go beyond that. Go beyond that to the person who's sitting in darkness and there is a sin that you cannot overcome. It may be lust. It may be a pornography. It may be lying. It may be anger. It may be bitterness. It may be self-righteousness. And for years and years and years, you, you want to be different, but you feel like a prisoner in Babylon in chains and you are bound. And there's no hope. It's bad enough to be in prison. Can you imagine being in prison in darkness in a foreign country? with chains around your wrists? Verse 11, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to hope. But listen, it doesn't end here. Look what God does for them. Verses 13 to 14, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from the distress, and he brought them out of darkness. God will bring you out of darkness, friend. And the shadow of death Listen, and he's going to burst your bonds. I don't know what your bonds are. I know what mine are. I'm very familiar with mine. But he's going to burst them. One day you will see Jesus as he is face to face and you will be like him. I don't understand that fully. But the whole, this is the end game of Christianity. That God restores fallen image bearers so that we bear the image of Christ and we, we say this is what God looks like. We're not God, Jesus is God, but this is what he looks like and we're at various levels of that in our marriages, in our homes. But one day we're going to see him as he is and that's my hope, man. We're going to all be laughing in Jerusalem together. Drinking some good wine together. That's going to be a good day. 
Every gathering we have is just a picture of that day. Every noche buena we had this last celebration time is just a little picture of that day. Every party is a picture of that day. Every time we gather together here, it's a picture of that day. But then we got to go back to the day where, oh man. But it's coming. You hear me? Your body will be totally, perfectly healthy. I'm always moved when I, when I watch children that are born with deformities. I can't explain it. It breaks my heart. Or when people just, just are abused for the color of their skin or their nationality or they can't speak English like everybody else, like my parents. It bothers me. But one day that will not be anymore. You get that? Okay, that's a good day. And what is our response? Look at verse 15. Let them thank the Lord. You there? Verse 15. Let them thank the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man in Christ, played out in all these scenarios in your life and my life. Why? He shatters the doors of bronze. Can you just see it? You're sitting in your cell. It's all dark and you're just blah. And that a bronze door is shattered. Typically, I'm not thinking bronze doors are shattered. I'm thinking wood doors, like the door to my bedroom. Maybe some of you tough guys could shatter it with one kick. You know, Eric, bam, put, punches right through it. But I don't think he's going to be doing that to a bronze door. What's the picture? There's nothing that can prevent the Lord from shattering the door that keeps you enslaved in exile because he rose from the dead. Shatters the, the doors of bronze, and he cuts into the bars of iron, right? You know, just like MacGyver, you know, however he does it, right? He just cuts those bars, and you, you crawl out, okay? I just, I just see the bars just going boom, right? Or was it the, the 18, that guy that could bend them, you know, I don't know, whatever. I'm dating myself. I know, Zeke, relax. Zeke's back to it. Don't go with the 18 illustration now. <laughs> he shatters them. Shatters them. Third situation of the four. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that gathers and redeems us when you find yourself living the consequences of your foolish rebellion. Look at verses 17 and 18. Some were fools. Some. <laughs> Through their sinful ways, rebellion. Because, and because of their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Some of you, and particularly those of you that are older, can, we can be tempted to look back at our lives and see all the foolish decisions. Young people, listen. Pay attention, man. Listen to your elders. If nothing else, we've grown through the school of hard knocks. We have lumps and bumps and scars. And, you know. But some of us older guys, older ladies, older men, can look back and say, I, I regret my foolish rebellion. This is, this is called a midlife crisis, by the way. Psychology labels it midlife crisis. The Bible labels it just a depression, discouragement. Jesus Christ will deliver you from that. He can bring fruitfulness in an area in your life that you have totally blown and mishandled for 20, 30, 40 years. In a moment, he can bring life. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. 
And, they del- and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His Word and He healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He, Jesus healed us from the fatal wound of sin and death because of our rebellion. And He blesses us, church. And what's the response? Verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. Listen, each one of these thanks begins the exact same way with the same formula, but they all have something different. Pay attention to the something different. Verse 21, what's different in this one? And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of His deeds and songs of joy. I think that speaks of a corporate blessing, that of, of a corporate thanking of God together. And point four, and the final point, the final vignette, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love that gathers and redeems us when you find yourself threatened by the storms of life. Sometimes we suffer not because of our sin. It's just, it's a tough world. Corey was telling me that Alaska has been deemed the most dangerous place to live. He said, one guy told him, he said, you may love Alaska, but Alaska doesn't love you back. (laughs) Why? Because it's harsh. It's cold. It's unforgiving. You make a mistake. They find you, you know, frozen in your front seat somewhere. (laughs) Or the snack for a grizzly that just happened to be messing around in the backyard. (laughs) The world is far worse. We live in a dangerous world, right? We all know that. And so sometimes we suffer because of the storms of life. And you see that. Look at verses 23 to 27. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. And they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their, listen, verse 26 is us. Their courage melted away. Do you find your courage melting away? Like a popsicle on a hot South Florida day? Melting away in, the evil, in their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Sometimes life just hits us and we're just staggering around like a drunken person and our wits just go away. We act crazy when these storms hit. And what are those storms for you, dear friend? Then what we do is we cry out. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Now notice the difference, the same formula, that, that, those words in verse 28, but notice the difference here in verses 29, the specificity of what they're thanking God for. He made the storms be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. I've been on boats in a storm. Uh, when you're finally at your desired haven, that's a really good feeling. When you're not, that's a really bad feeling. Did you notice who's the author of the storms here? It's God. Go back and read it. It's God. So what God does is he says, I'm going to allow these storms so that you understand you cannot deliver yourself. But this text right here points to Jesus. It points to Jesus in Matthew 8, 24 to 27 on the screen here who fulfilled the ultimate picture of God calming the storms. But first, Matthew 8, 24 to 27, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. A bunch of fishermen, they understood the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. The fishermen are freaking out. Jesus, the carpenter, is asleep. There's a reason for that. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Have you ever done that? Oh, man, all the time. Save me, Lord, I'm perishing. And he said to them, 
Why are you afraid? Now, that's crazy. These are fishermen who know the sea. If they're afraid, everybody else should be afraid, right? Jesus says, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's God, who will calm the seas in your life at the right time, because he is steadfast in his love. He will always care for you. He will always deliver you. And so what do we do? Verse 31, Let them give thanks Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The psalm ends where most wisdom literature ends with giving us a lesson. So here's the lesson. Do you want to know what it looks like to live as God's people, as image bearers of Christ in this fallen world? Would you like wisdom this morning? We'll read verse 43 quietly as i read it out loud whoever is wise let him attend to these things all the stuff we just preached let them consider the steadfast love of the lord let's do that now let's pray worship team would you join me up front father we consider your steadfast love this morning in the midst of the regret over our foolish ways and the consequences in the midst of these dungeons that we sit in bound by our sin in the midst of exile and desert places, dry, hopeless exile. Lord, we want to consider your steadfast love in the midst of the storms of life, and we are freaking out, God. We are like, God, don't you see we're dying? Save us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. For the God who led us into the storm is the God who calms the storm and commands the storm. Is the God who took the storm of God's wrath on the cross, Jesus Christ, God the Son, second person of the Trinity. You took the greatest storm any of us will ever face, the storm of God's righteous wrath against our sin. And you give us hope. We will, we will, we will reach safe haven in Christ, forever and ever and ever. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief as the storms buffet us today. Let us see the glory that awaits us on that day. Lord, I pray for the unbeliever that they would bow their knee and cry out for you to save them. For great is your faithfulness, O God. Let us stand and conclude the sermon by singing this song together. Let us obey this psalm, shall we? Let us give thanks to the Lord.